The Forgotten Planet by Sewell Peasley Wright. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Forgotten Planet by Sewell Peasley Wright. I have been asked to record, plainly and without prejudice, a brief history of the Forgotten Planet. That this record, when completed, will be sealed in the archives of the Interplanetary Alliance, and remain there, a secret and rather dreadful bit of history, is no concern of mine. I am an old man, well past the century mark, and what disposal is made of my work is of little importance to me. I grow weary of life and living, which is good. The fear of death was not lost when our scientists showed us how to live until we grew weary of life. But I am digressing an old man's failing. The Forgotten Planet was not always so named. The name that it once bore had been, as every child knows, stricken from the records, actual and mental, of the universe. It is well that evil should not be remembered. But, in order that this history may be clear in the centuries to come, my record should go back to beginnings. So far as the universe is concerned, the history of the Forgotten Planet begins with the visit of the first craft ever to span the space between the worlds, the crude, adventuresome Edorn, whose name, as well as the names of the nine Zinnians who manned her, occupy the highest places in the role of honor of the universe. Amy Beove, the commander and historian of the Edorn, made but brief comment on his stop at the Forgotten Planet. I shall record it in full. We came to rest upon the surface of this, the fourth of the planets, visited during the trip of the Edorn, eighteen spaces before the height of the sun. We found ourselves surrounded immediately by vast numbers of creatures, very different from ourselves, and from their expressions and gestures, we gathered that they were both curious and unfriendly. Careful analysis of the atmosphere proved it to be sufficiently similar to our own to make it possible for us to again stretch our legs outside the rather cramped quarters of the Edorn, and tread the soil of still another world. No sooner had we emerged, however, that we were angrily beset by the people of this unfriendly planet, and rather than do them injury, we retired immediately, and concluded our brief observations through our ports. The topography of this planet is similar to our own, save that there are no mountains, and the flora is highly concentrated, almost without exception, and apparently quite largely parasitical in nature. The people are rather short in stature, with hairless heads and high foreheads. Instead of being round or oval, however, the heads of these people rise to a rounded ridge, which runs back from a point between and just above the eyes, nearly to the nape of the neck behind. They give evidence of a fair order of intelligence, but are suspicious and unfriendly. From the number and size of the cities we saw, this planet is evidently thickly populated. We left about sixteen spaces before the height of the sun, and continued towards the fifth and last planet before our return to Zinnia. This report quite naturally caused other explorers in space to hesitate. There were so many friendly, eager worlds to visit during the years that relations between the planets were being established that unfriendly people were ignored. However, from time to time, as spaceships became perfected and more common, parties from many of the more progressive planets did call. Each of them met with the same hostile reception, and at last, 
shortly after the second war of the planets the victorious alliance sent a fleet of the small but terrible dauber spears convoyed by four of the largest of the disintegrator ray ships to subjugate the forgotten planet five great cities were destroyed and the control city the seat of the government was menaced before the surly inhabitants conceded allegiance to the alliance parties of scientists fabricators and workmen were then landed and a dictatorship was appointed from all the worlds of the alliance instruments and equipments were brought to the forgotten planet a great educational system was planned and executed the benign and kindly influence of the alliance made every effort to improve the conditions existing on the forgotten planet and to win the friendship and allegiance of these people for two centuries the work went on two centuries of bloodshed strife hate and disturbance nowhere else within the known universe was there ill-feeling the second awful war of the planets had at last succeeded in teaching the lesson of peace two centuries of effort wasted effort it was near the end of the second century that my own story begins commander at the time of the supercruiser tamon a special patrol ship of the alliance i was not at all surprised to receive orders from the central council to report at emergency speed special patrol work in those days before the advent of the present decentralized system was a succession of false starts hurried recalls and urgent emergency orders i obeyed at once in the special patrol service there is no questioning orders the planet earth from which i sprang is and always has been proud of the fact that from the very beginning her men have been picked to command the ships of the special patrol no matter how dangerous how forlorn and hopeless the mission given to a commander of the special patrol ship history has never recorded that any commander has ever hesitated that is why our uniform of blue and silver commands the respect that it does even in this day and age of softening and decadence when men but again an old man digresses and perhaps it is not for me to judge i pointed the blunt nose of the tamon at zinium seat of the central council and in four hours earth time the great craft swept over the gleaming city of the central council and settled swiftly to the court before the mighty columned hall of the planets four pages of the council in their white and scarlet livery met me and conducted me instantly to a little anteroom behind the great council chamber there were three men awaiting me there three men whose faces at the time were familiar to every person in the known universe Kalin, the oldest of the three and the spokesman rose as i entered the room the others did likewise as the pages closed the heavy doors behind me you are prompt and that is good thought Kalin. i welcome you remove now thy menore i glanced up at him swiftly this must surely be an important matter that i was asked to remove my menore band it will of course be understood that at the time we had but a bulky and clumsy instrument to enable us to convey and receive thought a device consisting of a heavy band of metal in which were embedded the necessary instruments and a tiny atomic energy generator the whole being worn as a circlet or crown upon the head wonderingly i removed my menore placed it upon the long dark table around which the three men were standing and bowed each of the three in turn lifted their gleaming circlets from their heads and placed them likewise upon the table before them you wonder said Kalin, speaking of course in the soft and liquid universal language 
which is, I understand, still disseminated in our schools, as it should be. I shall explain as quickly and briefly as possible. We have called you here on a dangerous mission, a mission that will require tact and quickness of mind, as well as bravery. We have selected you, have called you, because we agree that you possess the qualities required. Is it not so? He glanced at his two companions, and they nodded gravely, solemnly, without speaking. You are a young man, John Hansen, continued Colleen, but your record and service is one of which you can be proud. We trust you with knowledge that is so secret, so precious, that we must revert to speech in order to convey it. We dare not trust it, even in this protected and guarded place, to the manure's quicker but less discreet communication. He paused for a moment, frowning thoughtfully, as though dreading to begin. I waited silently, and at last he spoke again. There is a world, and he named a name which I shall not repeat, the name of the forgotten planet, that is a festering sore upon the body of the universe. As you know, for two centuries we have tried to pass on to these people an understanding of peace and friendship. I believe that nothing has been left undone. The Council and the forces behind it have done everything within their power, and now... He stopped again, and there was an expression of deepest pain written upon his wise and kindly face. The pause was but for an instant. And now, he went on firmly, it is at an end. Our work has been undone, two centuries of effort, undone. They have risen in revolt. They have killed all those sent by the alliance of which this council is the governing body and the mouthpiece, and they have sent us an ultimatum, a threat of war. Kellen nodded his magnificent old head gravely. "'I do not wonder that you start,' he said heavily. "'War! It must not be! It cannot be! And yet, war is what they threaten!' "'But, sir,' I put in eagerly, "'I was young and rash in those days. Who are they to make war against a united universe?' "'I have visited your planet Earth,' said Kellen, smiling very faintly. You have a tiny winged insect you call bee, is it not so? Yes. The bee is a tiny thing of little strength. A man, a child, might crush one to death between a thumb and finger, but the bee may sting before it is crushed, and the sting may linger on for days, a painful and unpleasant thing. Is that not so? I see, sir, I replied somewhat abashed before the tolerant, kindly wisdom of this great man. They cannot hope to wage successful war, but they may bring much suffering to others. Much suffering, nodded Kalin, still gently smiling. And we were determined that this thing shall not be, not, and his face grew gray with a terrible, bitter resolve, not if we have to bring to bear upon that dark and unwilling world the disintegrating rays of every ship of the Alliance, so that the very shell of the planet shall disappear, and no life ever again shall move upon its surface. But this, and he seemed to shudder at the thought, is a terrible and ruthless thing to even contemplate. We first must try once again to point out to them the folly of their ways. It is with this mission that we would burden you, John Hansen. It is no burden, but an honor, sir, I said quietly. Youth, youth! Kalin chided me gently. 
foolish yet rather glorious let me tell you the rest and then we shall ask for your reply again the news came to us by a small scout ship attached to that unhappy world it barely made the journey to jaron the nearest planet and crashed so badly from lack of power that all save one man were killed he luckily tore off his manure and insisted in speech that he be brought here he was obeyed and in a dying condition was brought to this very chamber Kalin glanced swiftly sadly around the room as though he could still visualize that scene every agent of the alliance upon that hateful planet was set upon and killed following the working out of some gigantic and perfectly executed plan all save the crew of this one tiny scout ship which was spared to act as a messenger tell your great council was the message these people sent to us that here is rebellion we do not want nor will we tolerate your peace we have learned now that upon other worlds than ours there are great riches these we shall take if there is resistance we have a new and terrible death to deal a death that your great scientists will be helpless against a horrible and irresistible death that will make desolate and devoid of intelligent life in any world where we were forced to sow the seeds of ultimate disaster we are not ready yet if we were we would not move for we prefer that your council have time to think about what is surely to come if you doubt that we have the power to do what we have threatened to do send one ship commanded by a man whose words you will trust and we will prove to him that these are no empty words that is nearly as i can remember it concluded Kalin. is the message the man who brought it died almost before he had finished that is the message you are the man we have picked to accept their challenge remember though that there are but four of us in this room there are but four of us who know these things if you for any reason do not wish to accept this mission there will be none to judge you least of all any of us who knows best of all the perils you say sir i said quietly although my heart was pounding in my throat and roaring in my ears that there would be none to judge me sir there would be myself there could be no more merciless judge i am honored that i have been selected for this task and i accept the responsibility willingly gladly when is it your wish that we should start the three presiding members of the council glanced at each other faintly smiling as though they would say as clean had said in a short time before youth youth yet i believe they were glad and somewhat proud that i had replied as i did you may start said Kalin. as soon as you can complete the necessary preparations detailed instructions will be given you later he bowed to me and the others did likewise then Kalin picked up his manure and adjusted it the interview was over what do you make of it i asked the observer he glanced up from his instrument jaron sir three degrees to port elevation between five and six degrees approximate only of course sir good enough please ask mr barry to hold his present course we shall not stop at joran the observer glanced at me curiously but he was too well disciplined to hesitate or ask questions yes sir he said crisply and spoke into the microphone beside him none of us wore manures when on duty for several reasons our instruments were not nearly as perfect as those in day-to-day -day use 
and verbal orders were clearer and carried more authority than mental instructions. The delicate and powerful electrical and atomic mechanisms of our ship interfered with the functioning of the menores, and at the time, the old habit of speech was far more firmly entrenched due to hereditary influence than it is now. I nodded to the man and made my way to my own quarters. I wished most heartily that I could talk over my plans with someone, but this had been expressly forbidden. I realize that you trust your men, and more particularly your officers, Colleen had told me during the course of his parting conversation with me. I trust them also, yet we must remember that the peace of mind of the universe is concerned. If news, even a rumor, of this threatened disaster should become known, it is impossible to predict the disturbance it might create. Say nothing to anyone. It is your problem. You alone should leave the ship when you land. You alone shall hear or see the evidence they have to present, and you alone shall bring the word of it to us. That is the wish of the Council. Then it is my wish, I had said, and so it had been settled. Aft, in the crew's quarters, a gong sounded sharply, the signal for changing watches, and the beginning of a sleep period. I glanced at the remote control dials that glowed behind their glass panel on one side of my room. From the registered attraction of Jaron, at our present speed, we should be passing her within, according to Earth time, about two hours. That meant that their outer patrols might be seeking our business, and I touched Barry's attention button and spoke into the microphone beside my bunk. Mr. Barry? I'm turning in for a little sleep. Before you turn over the watch to Etel, will you see that the nose rays are set for the special patrol code signal for this Enar? We shall be close to Jaron shortly. Yes, sir. Any other orders? No, I'll keep her on her present course. I shall take the watch for Mr. Etel. Since there have been changes since those days, and will undoubtedly be others in the future, it might be well to make clear, in a document such as this, that at this period, all ships of the Special Patrol Service identified themselves by means of invisible ray flashes in certain sequences from the two nose or forward projectors. These code signals were changed every enar, a period of time arbitrarily set by the Council, about 18 days as time is measured on Earth, and divided into 10 periods, as at present known as enarens. These were further divided into eneros, thus giving us a time-reckoning system for use in space, correspondingly roughly to the months, days, and hours of the Earth. I retired, but not to sleep. Sleep would not come. I knew, of course, that if curious outer patrol ships from Jaron did investigate us, they would be able to detect our invisible ray code signal and thus satisfy themselves that we are on the Council's business. There would be no difficulty on that score, but what I should do after landing upon the rebellious sphere? I had not the slightest idea. Be stern, indifferent to their threats, Colleen had counseled me, but do everything within your power to make them see the folly of their attitude. Do not threaten them, for they are surly people, and you might precipitate matters. Swallow your pride if you must. Remember that yours is a gigantic responsibility, and upon the information you bring us may depend the salvation of millions. I am convinced that they are not, you have a word in your language that fits exactly, not pretending, what's the word? 
Bluffing? I had supplied in English, smiling. Right, bluffing. It is a very descriptive word, and I'm sure they are not bluffing. I was sure of it also. They knew the power of the Alliance. They had been made to feel it more than once. A bluff would have been a foolish thing, and these people were not fools. In some lines of research, they were extraordinarily brilliant. But what could their new, terrible weapon be? Rays we had, at least half a dozen rays of destruction, the terrible, dehydrating ray of the Dauber sphere, the disintegrating ray that dated back before Amy Beove and his first voyage into space, the concentrated ultraviolet ray that struck men down in fiery torment. No, it could hardly be a new ray that was their boasted weapon. What, then? Electricity had even been exhausted of all its possibilities. Atomic energy had been released, harnessed, and directed. Yet it would take fabulous time and expense to make these machines of destruction do what they claimed they would do. Still pondering the problem, I did fall at last into a fitful travesty of sleep. I was glad when the soft clamor of the bell aft announced the next change of watch. I rose, cleared the cobwebs from my brain with an icy shower, and made my way directly to the navigating room. "'Everything tidy, sir?' said Attell, my second officer, and a Zinian. He was thin and very dark, like all Zinians, and he had the high, effeminate voice of the people. But he was cool and fearless, and had the uncanny celebration of his kind. I trusted him as completely I trusted Barry, my first officer, who, like myself, was a native of Earth. "'Will you take over?' "'Yes,' I nodded, glancing at the twin charts beneath the ground glass top of the control table. "'Get what sleep you can for the next few Irnos. Presently I shall want every man on duty at his station.' He glanced at me curiously, as the observer had done, but saluted and left with only a brief, "'Yes, sir!' I returned the salute and turned my attention again to the charts. The navigating room of the interplanetary ship is without doubt unfamiliar ground to most, so it might be well for me to say that such ships have, for the most part, twin charts, showing progress in two dimensions, to use land terms, lateral and vertical. These charts are really no more than large sheets of ground glass ruled in both directions with fine black lines, representing all relatively close heavenly bodies by green lights of varying sizes. The ship itself is represented by a red spark, and the whole is, of course, entirely automatic in action, the instruments comprising the chart being operated by the super-radio reflexes. Jaron, the chart showed me at a glance, was now far behind, and almost directly above, it is necessary to resort to these unscientific terms to make my meanings clear, was the tiny world of Elon, home of the friendly but impossibly dull winged people, the only ones in the known universe. I was there but once, and found them almost laughably like our common dragonflies on Earth, dragonflies that grow some seven feet long and with gauzy wings of amazing strength. Directly ahead on both charts was a brilliantly glowing sphere of green, our destination. I made some rapid mental calculations, studying the few fine black lines between the red spark that was our ship and the nearest edge of the great green sphere. I glanced at our speed indicator and then the attraction meter. 
the little red slide that moved around the rim of the attraction meter was squarely at the top, showing that the attraction was from straight ahead. The great black hand was nearly a third of the way around the face. We were very close. Two hours would bring us into the atmospheric envelope. In less than two hours and a half, we would be in the control city of what is now called the Forgotten Planet. I glanced forward through the thick glass partitions into the operating room. Three men stood there, watching intently. They, too, were wondering why we visited an unfriendly world. The planet itself loomed up straight ahead, a great half-circle, its curved rim sharp and bright against the empty blackness of space, the cord ragged and blurred. In two hours, I turned away and began a restless pacing. An hour went by. An hour and a half. I pressed the attention button to the operating room and gave orders to reduce our speed by half. We were very close to the outer fringe of the atmospheric envelope. Then, keeping my eye on the big surface temperature gauge with its stubby red hand, I resumed my nervous pacing. Slowly, the thick red hand of the surface temperature gauge began to move. Slowly, and then more rapidly, until the eyes could catch its creeping. Reduced to atmospheric speed, I ordered curtly, and glanced down through a side port at one end of the long navigation room. We were at the moment directly above the twilight belt. To my right, as I looked down, I could see a portion of the glistening Antarctic ice cap. Here and there were the great flat lakes, almost seas, of the planet. Our geographies of the universe today do not show the topography of the forgotten planet. I might say, therefore, that the entire sphere was land area, with numerous great lakes embedded in its surface, together with many broad, very crooked rivers. As Amy Beove had reported, there were no mountains and no high land. Altitude constant, I ordered. Port three degrees. Stand by for further orders. The earth seemed to whirl slowly beneath us. Great cities drifted astern, and I compared the scene below me with the great maps I took from our charge case. The control city should be just beyond the visible realm, well in the daylight area. Port five degrees, I said, and pressed the attention button to Barry's quarters. Mr. Barry, please call all men to quarters, including the off-duty watch, and then report to the navigating room. Mr. Attell will be under my direct orders. We shall descend within the next few minutes. Very well, sir. I pressed the attention button to Attell's room. Mr. Attell, please pick ten of your best men and have them report to the forward exit. Await me with the men at that place. I shall be with you as soon as I turn the command over to Mr. Barry. We are descending immediately. Right, sir, said Attell. I turned from the microphone to find that Barry had just entered the navigating room. We will descend into the great court of the control city, Mr. Barry, I said. I have a mission here. I'm sorry, but these are the only instructions I can leave you. I do not know how long I shall be gone from the ship, but if I do not return within three hours, depart without me and report directly to Colleen of the Council, to him and no other. Tell him verbally what took place. Should there be any concerted action against the Tamon, use your own judgment as to the action to be taken, remembering that the safety of the ship and its crew and the report of the Council are infinitely more important than my personal welfare. Is that clear? Yes, sir. Too damned clear. 
I smiled and shook my head. Don't worry, I said lightly. I'll be back well within the appointed time. I hope so, but there is something wrong as hell here. I'm talking now as man to man, not to my commanding officer. I've been watching below, and I have seen at least two spots where large numbers of our ships have been destroyed. The remaining ships bear their own damned emblem where the crest of the Alliance should be, and was. What does it mean? It means, I said slowly, that I shall have to rely upon every man and officer to forget himself and myself, and obey orders without hesitation and without flinching. The orders are not mine, but direct from the Council itself. I held out my hand to him, an ancient earth gesture of greeting, goodwill, and farewell, and he shook it vigorously. God go with you, he said softly, and with a little nod of thanks I turned and quickly left the room. Etel, with his ten men, were waiting for me at the forward exit. The men fell back a few paces and came to attention. Etel saluted smartly. We are ready, sir. What are your orders? You are to guard this opening. Under no circumstances is anyone to enter, save myself. I shall be gone not longer than three hours. If I am not back within that time, Mr. Barry has his orders. The exit will be sealed, and the Tamon will depart immediately without me. Yes, sir. You will pardon me, but I gather that your mission is a dangerous one. May I not accompany you? I shook my head. I shall need you here. But, sir, they are very excited and angry. I have been watching them from the observation ports, and there is a vast crowd of them around the ship. I had expected that. I thank you for your concern, but I must go alone. Those are the orders. Will you unseal the exit? His, yes, sir, was brisk and efficient, but there was a worried frown on his features as he unlocked and released the switch that opened the exit. The huge plug of metal, some ten feet in diameter, revolved swiftly and noiselessly, backing slowly in its fine threads into the interior of the ship, gripped by the ponderous gimbals, which, as the last thread disengaged, swung the mighty disc to one side, like the door of some great safe. Remember your orders. I smiled, and with a little gesture to convey an assurance which I certainly did not feel, I strode through the circular opening out into the crowd. The heavy glass secondary door shot down behind me, and I was in the hands of the enemy. The first thing I observed was that my manure, which I had picked up on my way to the exit, was not functioning. Not a person in all that vast multitude wore a manure. The five black-robed dignitaries who marched to meet me wore none. Nothing could have showed me more clearly that I was in trouble. To invite a visitor, as Colleen had done, to remove his manure first was, of course, a polite and courteous thing to do if one wished to communicate by speech. To remove the manure before greeting a visitor wearing one was a tactic admission of rank enmity, a confession that one's thoughts were to be concealed. My first impulse was to snatch off my own instrument and fling it in the solemn, ugly faces of the nearest of the five dignitaries. I remembered Colleen's warning just in time. Quietly, I removed the metal circlet and tucked it under my arm, bowing slightly to the committee of five as I did so. "'I am Jod-Ben,' said the first of the five, with an evil grin. "'You are the representative of the council that we commanded to appear?' "'I am John Hansen, 
commander of the ship Tamon of the Special Patrol Service. I am here to represent the Central Council, I replied with dignity. As we commanded, grinned Jabin. That is good. Follow us, and you shall have the evidence you were promised. Jabin led the way with two of his black-robed followers. The other two fell in behind me. A virtual prisoner, I marched between them through the vast crowd that made way grudgingly to let us pass. I have seen the people of most of the planets of the known universe. Many of them, to Earth notions, are odd. But these people, so much like us in many respects, were strangely repulsive. Their heads, as Amy Beove had recorded, were not round like ours, but possessed a high bony crest that ran from between their lashless, browless eyes down to the very nape of their necks. Their skin, even that covering their hairless heads, was a dull and papery white, like parchment, and their eyes were abnormally small and nearly round. A hateful, ugly people, perpetually scowling, snarling, their very voices resembled more the growl of wild beasts than the speech of intelligent beings. Jabin led the way straight to the low but vast building of dun-colored stone that I knew was the administration building of the control city. We marched up the broad, crowded steps through the muttering, jeering multitude into the building itself. The guards at the door stood aside to let us through, and the crowd at last was left behind. A swift, cylindrical elevator shot us upward into a great glass-walled laboratory, built like a sort of penthouse on the roof. Ja Ben walked quickly across the room towards the long, glass-topped table, and the other four closed in on me silently, but suggestively. "'That is unnecessary,' I said quietly. "'See, I am unarmed and completely in your power. I am here as an ambassador of the Central Council, not as a warrior.' "'Which is as well for you,' grinned Jabin. "'What I have to show you, you can see quickly, and then depart.' From a great cabinet in one corner of the room, he took a shining cylinder of dark red metal and held it up before him, stroking its sleek sides with an affectionate hand. "'Here it is,' he said, chuckling. "'The secret of our power, in here, safely imprisoned now, but capable of being released at our command.' is death for every living thing upon any planet we choose to destroy. He replaced the great cylinder in the cabinet and picked up in its stead a tiny vial of the same metal, no larger than my little finger and not so long. Here, he said, turning again towards me, is the means of proving our power to you. Come closer. With my bodyguard of four watching every move, I approached. Jabin selected a large hollow hemisphere of crystal glass and placed it upon a smooth sheet of flat glass. Next, he picked a few blossoms from a bowl that stood incredulously enough on the table and threw them under the glass hemisphere. Flora, he grinned. Hurrying to the other end of the room, he reached into a large flat metal cage and brought forth three small rodent-like animals, natives of that world. These he also tossed carelessly under the glass. Fauna, he grunted, and picked up the tiny metal vial. One end of the vial unscrewed, he turned the cap gently, carefully, a strained, anxious look upon his face. My four guards watched him breathlessly, fearfully. 
the cap came loose at last disclosing the end of the tube sealed with the grayish substance that looked like wax very quickly jabin rolled the little cylinder under the glass hemisphere and picked up a beaker that had begun bubbling gently on an electric plate close by swiftly he poured the thick contents of the beaker around the base of the glass bell the stuff hardened almost instantly forming an airtight seal between the glass hemisphere and the flat plate of glass upon which it rested then with an evil triumphant smile jabin looked up flora he repeated fauna and death watch the little metal cylinder is plugged still but in a moment that plug will disappear simply a volatile solid you understand it is going rapidly rapidly it is almost gone now watch in an instant now ah i saw the gray substance that stopped the entrance of the little metal vial disappear the rodents ran around and over it trying to find a crevice by which they might escape the flowers bright and beautiful lay untidily on the bottom of the glass prison then just as the last vestige of the gray plug vanished an amazing a terrible thing happened at the mouth of the tiny metal vial a greenish cloud appeared i call it a cloud but it was not that it was solid and it spread in every direction sending out little needles that lashed about and ran together into solid mass while millions of little needles reached out swiftly one of these little needles touched a scurrying animal instantly the tiny brute stiffened and from his entire body the greenish needles spread swiftly one of the flowers turned suddenly thick and pulpy with the soft green mass then another another of the rodents god in the space of two heartbeats the entire hemisphere was filled with the green mass that still moved and writhed and seemed to press against the glass sides as though the urge to expand was insistent imperative what is it i whispered still staring at the thing death grunted jabin thrusting his hateful face close to mine his tiny round eyes with their lashless lids glinting death my friend go and tell your great council of this death that we have created for every planet that will not obey us we have gone back into the history of dealing death and have come back with a death such as the universe has never known before there is a rapacious deadly fungus we have been two centuries in developing the spores contained in that tiny metal tube would be invisible to the naked eye and yet given but a little time to grow with air and vegetation and flesh to feed upon and even that small capsule would wipe out a world and in the cabinet he pointed grinning triumphantly we have ready for instant use enough of the spores of this deadly fungus to wipe out all the worlds of your great alliance to wipe them out utterly he repeated his voice shaking with a sort of frenzy now every living thing upon their faces wrapped in that thin hungry green stuff you see there under that glass all life wiped out made uninhabitable so long as the universe shall endure and we we shall be rulers unquestioned of that universe tell your doddering council that he leaned back against the table panting with hate 
I shall tell them all I have seen, all you have said. I nodded. You believe we have the power to do this? I do. God help me and the universe, I said solemnly. There was no doubt in my mind. I could see all too clearly how well their plans had been laid, how quickly this hellish growth would strangle all life once its spores began to develop. The only possible chance was to get back to the Council and make my report with all possible speed so that every available armed ship of the universe might concentrate here and wipe out these people before they had time to— I know what you're thinking, my friend, broke in Ja Ben mockingly. You might as well have warned the Manor. You would have the ships of the Alliance destroy us before we have time to act. We had foreseen that and have provided for the possibility. As soon as you leave here, ships provided with many tubes like the one just used for our little demonstration will be dispersed in every direction. We shall be in constant communication with those ships, and at the least sign of hostility, they will be ordered to depart and spread their death upon every world they can reach. Some of them you may be able to locate and eliminate, a number of them are certain to elude capture in infinite space, and if only one, one lone ship should escape, the doom of the Alliance in millions upon millions of people will be pronounced. I warn you, it will be better, much better, to bow to our wishes and pay us the tribute we shall demand. Any attempt at resistance will precipitate certain disaster for your council, and all the worlds the Council governs. At least we would wipe you out first, I said hoarsely. True, nodded Jabin. But the vengeance of our ships would be a terrible thing. You would not dare to take the chance. I stood there, staring at him in a sort of daze. What he had said was so true, terribly, damnably true. If only... There was but one chance I could see and desperate as it was, I took it. Whirling the heavy metal ring of my manure in hand, I sprang towards the table. If I could break the sealed glass hemisphere and loose the fungus upon its creators, deal to them the doom they had planned for the universe, then, perhaps, all might yet be well. Ja Ben understood instantly what was in my mind. He and his four aides leaped between me and the table, their tiny round eyes blazing with anger. I struck one of the four viciously with the manure, and with a gasp he fell back and slumped to the floor. Before I could break through the opening, however, Jabin struck me full in the face with his mighty fist, a blow that sent me dazed and reeling into a corner of the room. I brought up with a crash against the cabinet there, groped wildly in an effort to steady myself, and fell to the floor. Almost before I struck, all four of them were upon me. They hammered me viciously, shouted at me, cursed me in the universal tongue, but I paid no heed. I pretended to be unconscious, but my heart was beating high with sudden, glorious hope, and in my brain a terrible, merciless plan was forming. When I had groped against the cabinet in an effort to regain my balance, my fingers had closed upon one of the little metal vials. As I fell, I covered that hand with my body and hastily hid the tiny tube in a deep pocket of my blue and silver service uniform. Slowly, after a few seconds, I opened my eyes and looked up at them, helplessly. Go now! 
snarled Jabin, dragging me to my feet. Go and tell your council we are more than a match for you and for them. He thrust me, reeling towards his three assistants. Take him to his ship and send aid for Ithrantz here. He glanced at the still unconscious figure of the victim of my manure and then turned to me with a last warning. Remember one thing more, my friend. You have disintegrator ray equipment on your ship. You have the little atomic bombs that won for the Alliance the Second War of the Planets. I know that, but if you make the slightest effort to use them, I shall dispatch my supply of the Green Death to our ships, and they will depart upon their missions at once. You would take upon yourself a terrible responsibility by making the smallest hostile move. Go now, and when you return, bring with you members of your great council who will have the power to hear our demands and see that they are obeyed. And do not keep us waiting over long, for we are an impatient race. He bowed, mockingly, and passed his left hand swiftly before his face, his people's sign of parting. I nodded, not trusting myself to speak, and hemmed in by the three black-robed conductors, was hurried down the elevator and back through the jeering mob to my ship. The glass secondary door shot up to permit me to enter, and Attell grabbed my shoulder anxiously, his eyes smoldering angrily. "'Are you hurt, sir?' he said in his odd, high-pitched voice, staring into my bruised face. "'What? It's nothing,' I assured him. "'Close the exit immediately. We depart at once.' "'Yes, sir.' He closed the switch, and the great threaded plug swung gently on its gimbals and began to revolve, swiftly and silently. A little bell sounded sharply, and the great door ceased its motion. Attell locked the switch and returned the key to his pocket. Good. All men are at their stations? Yes, sir, except these ten detailed to guard the exit. Have them report to their regular stations. Issue orders to the ray operators that they are to instantly and without further orders destroy any ship that may leave the surface of this planet. Have every atomic bomb crew ready for an instant and concentrated offensive directed at the control city, but command them do not act under any circumstances unless I give the order. Is that clear, Mr. Attell? Yes, sir. I nodded and turned away, making my way immediately to the navigating room. Mr. Barry, I said quickly and gravely, I believe that the fate of the known universe depends upon us at this moment. We will ascend vertically at once, slowly, until we are just outside the envelope, maintaining only sufficient horizontal motion to keep us directly over the control city. Will you give the necessary orders? Immediately, sir. He pressed the attention button to the operating room and spoke swiftly into the microphone. Before he completed the order, I had left. We were already ascending when I reached the port forward atomic bomb station. The man in charge, Azinian, saluted with automatic precision and awaited orders. You have a bomb in readiness? I asked, returning the salute. Those are my orders, sir. Correct. Remove it, please. I waited impatiently while the crew removed the bomb from the releasing strap. It was withdrawn at last a fish-shaped affair, very much like the ancient airplane bombs, save that it was no larger than my two fists, placed one upon the other, and that it had four silvery wires running along its side, from rounded nose 
to pointed tail held at a distance from the body by a series of insulating struts now i said quickly how quickly can you put another object in the trap reseal the opening and release the object while the commander counts ten with reasonable speed said the zinnian with pride we won first honors in the special patrol service contest at the last examination the commander may remember i do remember that is why i selected you for this duty with hands that trembled a little i think i drew forth the little vial of gleaming red metal while the bomb crew watched me curiously i shall unscrew the cap from this little vial i explained and drop it immediately into the releasing trap reseal the trap and release this object as quickly as it is possible to do so if you can better the time you made to win the honors at examination in god's name do so yes sir replied the zinnian he gave brisk orders to his crew and each of the three men sprang alertly into position as quickly as i could i turned off the cap of the little metal vial and dropped it into the trap the heavy plug a tiny duplicate of the exit door clicked shut upon it and spun whining gently into the opening something clicked sharply and one of the crew dropped a bar into place as it shot home the zinnian in command of the crew pulled the release plunger done sir he said proudly i did not reply my eye fixed upon the observation tube that was following the tiny missile to the ground the control city was directly below us i lost sight of the vial almost instantly but the indicating crosshairs showed me exactly where the vial would strike at a point approximately halfway between the edge of the city and the great squat pile of the administrating building with its gleaming glass penthouse the laboratory in which only a few minutes before i had witnessed the demonstration of the death which awaited the universe excellent i exclaimed smartly done men i turned and hurried to the navigating room where the most powerful of our television discs was located the disc was not as perfect as those we have today it was hooded to keep out exterior light which is not necessary with the later instruments and it was more unwieldy however it did its work and did it well in the hands of an experienced operator with only a nod to barry i turned the range band to maximum and brought it swiftly to bear upon that portion of the city in which the little vial had fallen as i drew the focusing lever towards me the scene leaped at me through the clear glowing glass disc froth green billowing froth that grew and boiled and spread unceasingly in places it reached high into the air and it moved with an eager inner life that was somehow terrible and revolting i moved the range hand back and the view seemed to drop away from me swiftly i could see the whole city now all one side of it was covered with the spreading green stain that moved and flowed so swiftly thousands of tiny black figures were running in the streets crowding away from the awful danger that menaced them the green patch spread more swiftly always when i had first seen it the edges were advancing as rapidly as a man could run now they were fairly racing and the speed grew constantly a ship two of them three of them came darting from somewhere else towards the administration building with its glass cupola i held my breath as the deep sudden humming from the taman told me that our rays were busy would they one of the enemy ships disappeared suddenly in a little cloud of dirty heavy dust that settled swiftly another and a third three little streaks of dust falling falling a fourth ship and a fifth ship came rushing up 
their sides faintly glowing from the speed they had made. The green flood, thick and insistent, was racing up and over the administration building now. It reached the roof, ran swiftly. The fourth ship shattered into dust. The fifth settled swiftly, and then that ship also disappeared, together with the corner of the building. Then the thick green stuff flowed over the whole building, and there was nothing to be seen there but a mound of soft, flowing, gray-green stuff that rushed on now with the swiftness of the wind. I looked up into Barry's face. "'You're ill,' he said quickly. "'Is there anything I can do, sir?' "'Yes,' I said, forming the words with difficulty. "'Give orders to ascend at emergency speed.' For once, my first officer hesitated. He glanced at the attraction meter and then turned to me again, wondering. "'At this height, sir, emergency speed will mean dangerous heating of the surface.' Perhaps I want it white-hot, Mr. Barry. She is built to stand it. Emergency speed, please, immediately. Right, sir, he said briskly, and gave the order. I felt my weight increase as the order was obeyed. Gradually, the familiar, uncomfortable feeling left me. Silently, Barry and I watched the big surface temperature gauge as it started to move. The heat inside became uncomfortable, grew intense. The sweat poured from us. In the operating room forward, I could see the men casting quick, wondrous glances up at us through the heavy glass partition that lay between. The thick, stubby red hand of the surface temperature gauge moved slowly, but steadily towards the heavy red line that marked the temperature at which the outer shell of our hull would become incandescent. The hand was within three or four degrees of that mark when I gave Barry the order to arrest our motion. When he had given the order, I turned to him and motioned towards the television disc. "'Look,' I said. He looked, and when at last he tore his face away from the hood, he seemed ten years older. "'What is it?' he asked in a choked whisper. "'Why, they're being wiped out. The whole of that world.' True, and some of the seeds of that terrible death might have drifted upward and found a lodging place upon the surface of our ship. That is why I ordered the emergency speed, while we were still within the atmospheric envelope, Barry, to burn away that contamination, if it existed. Now we're safe, unless... I pressed the attention button to the station of the chief of the ray operators. Your report, I ordered. Nine ships disintegrated, sir, he replied instantly. Five before the city was destroyed, four later. You are certain that none escaped? Positive, sir. Very good. I turned to Barry, smiling. Point her nose for Zinnia, Mr. Barry, I said. As soon as it is feasible, resume emergency speed. There are some very anxious gentlemen there awaiting our report, and I dare not convey it except in person. Yes, sir, Barry said, crisply. This, then, is the history of the Forgotten Planet. On the charts of the universe, it appears as an unnamed world. No ship is permitted to pass close enough to it so that its attraction is greater than that of the nearest other mass. A permanent outpost of fixed station ships, with headquarters upon Jaron, the closest world, is maintained by the Council. There are millions of people who might be greatly disturbed if they knew of this potential menace that lurks in the midst of our universe, but they do not know. The wisdom of the Council made certain of that, but in order that in the ages to come there might be a record of this matter, I have been asked to prepare this document for the sealed archives of the Alliance. It has been a pleasant task, 
I have relived, for a little time, a part of my youth. The work is done now, and that is well. I am an old man, and weary. Sometimes I wish I might live to see the wonders that the next generation or so will witness, but my years are heavy upon me. My work is done. End of The Forgotten Planet by Sewell Peasley Wright